Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to get into the second half of this message here on uh, beware of apostasy, and of course looking at uh, Israel as an example of apostasy when Moses went up the mount, and um, and of course by the time he came down, they had already apostatized. They've just basically turned away from everything they've learned, and they made their own decision of what they wanted to do. And they thought they were going to end up being okay. Isn't that a deception? <laughs> I think the world is like that too. They think, or the, the Christianity today, uh, you know, it's amazing what they're doing. Uh, there's some churches right now, some of the biggest pastors in, in the United States are putting on a conference to include uh, LGBTQ and so forth. And that's the topic of their, of their conference. And this is all in the name of Jesus, you know. And so it's... Uh, we're living in quite an interesting time, but it is a time of apostasy. It really is. And so I think we need to identify that a little bit. Uh, we looked at number one. I'll, I'll read down from uh, verse uh, one down to verse number 10 uh, to start here. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, and which shall go before us. Uh, for as as for as this Moses, the man that brought up, it's it's amazing how all of a sudden they forgot the man. <laughs> you know, like he was with them the whole time. Now this man, whoever he is, I mean the man. No, well they did that on purpose. They were trying to detach themselves from the responsibility to their leadership. Amen. And so there we see the man and uh, brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto him, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives of your sons and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. Afterward, he had made it a golden, a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they, remember, we just talked about the feast. They, just had, they were just instructed on how to have the feast unto the Lord. And they're not anywhere near where what they were supposed to do as far as the timing and, uh, and how they're supposed to do it. They just said, we're going to do it this way. And so we're declaring a feast. And uh, so they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And that's in a negative context, by the way. And the Lord said unto Moses, get, Go get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. But it's amazing that God didn't detach the people from Moses. He said, They're your people, Moses. He didn't say, Oh, the people, those people. Who are those people again? No, no, these are your people, Moses. You're responsible, and so I want you to deal with it. And then it goes on to say, They have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. So it didn't sound too bad for Moses. I mean, for him, it's going to turn out pretty good either way. But, you know, we'll see later how Moses didn't want that to take place. He interceded on behalf of the people because they were his people and he took responsibility for them. Amen. So we looked at the first uh, couple of points here. Basically, uh, some of the characteristics of, uh, uh, of uh, apostasy, they didn't, they didn't want to wait on God. You know, they're always impatient, you know. I was telling you about how in the 90s, the, the church leaders, instead of getting back to the scripture and praying and doing what they needed to do to get the young people back in the church, they decided we're going to get rock and roll in the church and that's going to bring the young people in. And so instead of waiting on the Lord, they used the world's tactics to draw people in. And so that's, that's a mistake right there. Um, and then again, Israel desired to fulfill their lust. That means they had something in them uh, that they wanted to do. And we know that behind every apostasy, lust is there. And we see that uh, in, in Scripture, how the Bible says, you know, preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. For the time will come when people will, or when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they shall heap unto themselves teachers. 
Uh, according to their lust, the Bible says, according to their lust, they'll heap to themselves teachers. So whenever they're watering down the truth or wanting to find a church easy to be at that doesn't preach against sin, doesn't challenge them to be better, doesn't challenge them to be holy, they, what they're really doing is following their lusts. They're, they're looking for an easy message. Uh, I don't want to feel convicted every time I go to church because I'm not getting right. I'm not getting right, so I'll feel convicted every time I go to church. Uh, folks, you'll either feel convicted every time you go to church or you'll feel peace every time you go to church. Because if you've got a heart that says, I don't want to be at odds with God, I don't want to be against the Lord, I don't want to you know, uh, hold to lies, I want to follow truth. And he's merciful in giving us opportunities and time to change and to become what he wants us to be. But he's not very merciful when we just dig our heels in and say, no, I don't want to be like that. Yeah. Uh, because the chances are what's going to happen is you will find yourself a teacher that will tell you what you want to hear. And that's what the scripture says, according to your lusts. So your desires. And that's what happened with Israel here. They had a desire. They, they played that out and they got a leader to go along with it. And that's the next point that Israel demanded worldly leadership. They wanted someone that would lead them uh, that way. And then we looked at the three real aspects of, of what we saw them do. And the first one was the wrong kind of music. Yeah. The music was not right. It would sound like the noise of war. And it was a fleshly music or a rhythmic music that caused them to dance. Amen. And I'm not saying you can't jump up and down you know, when you're listening to hymns. <laughs> but this kind of dancing is a little bit different. <laughs> Uh, sensual dancing. And we know that there's great power in music to affect the body. A uh, child of two years old can be affected by a beat, never he hearing it before. You give that child a beat that he's never heard before, and the body will automatically start to move according to that beat because the, the physical always connects with the rhythm of music. Uh, the word for rhythm means pulse. It's talking about the pulse, you know, and that's what's in your body, your pulse. And so it connects very intimately. And so that's why when we're choosing good music, we do not choose music that is high in rhythm or rhythm that, that moves you in a, in a strange way. That's why we talk about syncopated beats or off beats. Off beats are beats that, that go according to the opposite of your heart. Your heart is always a one, two, three, four, you know, like that. And an off beat is... You know, and that gets you grooving, you know, and uh, that's not what we want in our music. So uh, you can tell immediately people sing an amazing grace and all these great hymns. All they got to do is just just move that beat over one. and All of a sudden it just changes the whole feel of that song. Yet the, the, the song is the same. The words are the same. Uh, but the beat is what changes everything. Amen. And so music is very important. It's a sign of apostasy. And that's what we're living in today. We got smoke shows and we got light shows and we got all these things going on in churches. My friend, that is a sign of apostasy. Yeah. That is not godly. That's not what the Lord is looking for. And so uh, then, of course, dancing, I think dancing is just that, that outward flow of, of being driven by that music. You know, it's a very rhythmic in their body. They move with it. And you see that even in contemporary Christian concerts, you know, they're, they're moving a lot, you know. And not only that, they, they incorporate another dynamic and that's the emotional dynamic. Uh, if you listen to some of this contemporary music, what's going to happen is you're going to be affected emotionally. And people think if they're affected emotionally, that's a positive thing because they, they counterfeit that with spirituality. They think if somehow I'm feeling emotional, then I must be feeling spiritual. But not necessarily because music that affects the body and can also affect the emotions because that's the next step after the body. Uh, you know, with godly music, the first step that you're going to hit is from the spirit is your mind. Yeah. That means you're going to, first thing you do when you look at the hymn book, and that's why we like to keep the hymn books and so forth, because you can see the words, that it impacts your mind. And your mind is impacted, and then your will responds to that. You see, your emotions follow. They don't lead you, all right? And that the emotions are, I'm not against getting excited in church over hymns. I mean, my goodness, we need more of that, yeah. where people say amen during a hymn, and and they're thankful for the message that they're hearing and how it affects their soul because it's going through the right process, through the spirit, through the mind, through the will, then the emotion, and there's no boogie-woogie going on. <laughs> Amen. None of that kind of stuff. And folks, I'm not saying you can't tap your foot. I mean, everything has a tempo. We, you know, you have a metronome, it keeps, it keeps a tempo. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the rhythmic music, moving of your body sensually. 
That means according to your senses rather than through your mind, which is through the scripture. That's a spiritual drive. Amen. And so then, of course, a modesty is right on the steps of that. We're living in a day where modesty is, is just rampant in churches and there's nobody preaching on it. Folks, I, I'm serious now. There are rarely preachers that will preach on modesty. Rarely. I mean, it's to the point where I talk about it. I think everybody thinks, oh, this is a guy weird, <laughs> you know, because I know we need to because that's at the foundation of the dress problem in our, in our church is the modesty issue. And people don't understand it. But modesty is an effect also of living a sensual and physical life rather than being fed through your spirit. And because it's about the body, not about the spirit. Amen? And then you know, the Bible says to present your body as a living sacrifice. Also, Paul said, bring your body into subjection. So your body is a slave. It's not supposed to be in charge. You know, when people look at you, your body shouldn't be what's speaking to them. It should be your spirit. Amen? That's what the Bible says, especially in ladies. A meek and quiet spirit is something that is a great price to God. He doesn't mention your body. In fact, he says, don't let it be these outward adornings. He's not saying you can't adorn yourself, but he's saying don't let it be that that causes you to be attractive in people. It's got to be your spirit. And a Christian that has a right spirit is a very attractive person. People like that. You got a bad spirit, people don't want to be around you. But you got a good spirit that say, I want to hang out with you a bit. Because that rubs off, makes you feel better, amen? But you're a sourpuss all the time. You're not walking with God. You're not reading your Bible. You're not praying. You're going to be a sourpuss because your spirit is not being energized by God in a devotional way. It, it's, it's being stagnant, amen? And so you have to have a relationship with God where your spirit is fed, and that includes music. The Bible says teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So it's all part of teaching. So music is teaching, who are you teaching? The lost? Well, not necessarily. I mean, you probably could teach the lost with music, but it's really talking about teaching the people of God in the church. That yeah. it's, it's not the evangelistic tool. The Lord chose the foolishness of preaching to save the lost. Amen? Not the music. And so, anyways, uh, so anyways we, we've gone through that. Number two, the spiritual effects of Israel's apostasy. And we, we read this already but how God was not very impressed here. First of all, letter A, Israel broke communion with God. I mean, we talk about God, 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 the Lord, I'm doing the will of God and all this, but we have no communion with God. I mean, he's already left the building, amen? And yet we talk, we know the talk, we, walk, we, we talk the talk, we're not walking the walk. And so it says, For thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. The Lord is not interested in us corrupting ourselves. He wants us to be pure. Now, we are corrupt. I mean, we all got problems. I know that. But when you discover that, you get that right. Amen? But you don't go out of your way to corrupt yourself as a child of God. If you're doing that, there's something seriously wrong with your Christianity if you're a Christian at all. Amen? And so we got to be careful about that kind of thing. And so, uh, though they were still his people in a covenant sense, he called... um, uh, my my uh, sentence is totally messed up here. Let's not read that then. <laughs> so the people associated themselves with Moses because Moses delayed, but did not live in fellowship with God, living to please him. So here they were, sitting at the bottom of that mountain. Who were they waiting for? Moses, that man Moses. So let me ask you this. Is that who they were supposed to be waiting for? Is it about Moses here? Do you know they already received the law? Just because they didn't have the Ten Commandments doesn't mean they didn't have the whole law. In fact, Moses had already written down the whole law in a book, and he had read it to them, and he even sanctified them with blood, and they had altars and the twelve pillars, and they covenanted and all that, and yet here they are, breaking communion with God, because all they could do was focus on the man Moses, not realizing that their walk with God has more to do, more to do than just with a man Moses. It had to do with their God. Didn't one of them say, I wonder what God would think about this? That's why sometimes people think, you know, they get a little, you know, burr under their saddle with the preacher, and all of a sudden they just walk away from God. That's the same attitude that Israel had this day. They will, they will forsake the things of God because of the man Moses. <laughs> you know, there's a problem with that because you're not asking yourself the right question. What should I do 
in light of God's desires for my life. Amen? Then it doesn't matter what people do to you, you will always do the right thing. You have to follow the Lord. He's got to be the one that you're always waiting on. Amen? But the Lord knew it. They corrupted themselves. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, it says, but, do you have not, but be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? I am totally surprised, folks, how Christians today are totally ignoring this. Good fundamental Baptists are ignoring these, these passages here. Yeah. It's like somehow, oh, that doesn't count for me. Yes, it does. It counts for you. It's a New Testament. And he wrote it to you. And so what you don't do is fellowship with people that are living in outright sin and don't want to walk with God. I mean, sure, uh, Jesus went and he, he ate with the publicans and sinners because there was Matthew. And at the end of that meal, guess what happened? Uh, they got up and they got saved and they walked in a different manner. Amen. There is such thing as soul winning. All right. But we're not talking about fellowship there. The Bible says fellowship. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Maybe that's the problem. That was my problem a long time ago. My problem was when I had things in my life that were corrupting me, that I knew God wanted me to quit and I wanted them out of my life, I didn't care enough about what my relationship with God was about. See, the moment that I began to think, because of this cigarette in my hand, I am not in communion with my God because he has told me time and time again to get rid of that stupid thing. And I keep going back to it. And you know what really got me? I was sick and tired of not having my prayers heard. I was sick and tired of not having a father that was close to me, communing with me every day. It's like, it's like your prayers are hitting a ceiling. You know, we talk God, God, God. But folks, there's no God, God, God. I understand you're just saved and there's, you know, you need time to grow and I was there too. But there comes a time, my friend, you know what's right and wrong and you're still playing with the sin. That's apostasy. That is, that is willfully turning from the truth of the word of God. Willfully turning away and you break communion with God. Amen? I know that's a hard message. You probably don't hear that too many in churches today, do you? But it's something you need to hear because we, we play with it. We, 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 because we don't seriously take this thing to heart, we start hobnobbing with people that are living in outright sin. And we're going and eating with them and having fellowship with them. And we know this isn't just about soul winning and trying to get them saved and so forth. We're fellowshipping. Amen? That's where it's the problem. Fellowshipping. One guy said fellowshipping is like two fellows in one ship. You know, what, how, how can you be unequally yoked together, you see? And so, and I'll be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 1 John 1, 5, this is a great passage. I love 1 John chapter 1 especially. We should all read that once, once every once in a while, amen? Uh, it says, this then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. How much is that? That's about none. Amen. No darkness. Then it goes on to say, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So that's a pretty straightforward statement there. It says, If we say that I'm fellowshipping with God and I am purposely taking steps in the darkness, I'm a liar. The Bible says that he that is righteous doeth righteousness in 1 John. We've got to stop playing with ourselves here, folks, and stop pretending that people are righteous when they're really not. Yeah. You know, you got, we got it all convinced up here, and you know what's happening is you're becoming corrupted through these relationships. I'm not saying be mean. I'm, I mean, win them, uh, <laughs> you know, but fellowship, two fellows, one ship, ought not happen. Yeah. Ought not happen. 
It goes on to say, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, it doesn't say that you're perfect. In fact, he says, if you say you have no sin, you're a, you deceive yourselves. So it's not saying you're not perfect. You're, you're, you're walking in the light, but you still have sin in your life. But there's a difference when you're walking in the light. What's happening is that light is constantly revealing to you things that God wants you to see. And when you say, oh, Lord, yeah, I will deal with that because this isn't right. I mean, you've convicted me in that service or my Bible reading or you just smote my heart. And yes, Lord, I'm going to con- confess that and it's going to be dealt with. That's what, he's, that's what he's saying. See, during that, you're walking in the light. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you don't have sin, but you're walking in the light. You're allowing the light to, to reveal to you every day the things that God needs to do in your life and you're submitting to it. Amen? It's so important. It goes on to say, um, it says, we have fellowship one with another. Uh, sorry, yeah. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, what's that talking about? Is that talking about salvation? No, it's talking about sanctification. That means when we're walking in the light, that's when the blood is working to purify our lives. But when we go into the darkness, guess guess what stops working? The blood of Christ in your life. There's no more sanctification. Because the moment you walk out of the light, his blood can no longer touch you. It's not cleansing you anymore. Do you understand that? And that's why people, that's why many times you say, uh, you're either going forward for God or you're going backwards. Because nobody just sits in one spot. You know? Because either you're walking in the light or you're walking in the darkness. And if you're walking in the light, it may be a slow process. Really, is not my business how slow it is. That's your business with God. Amen? I'm not going to say, hey, that's a pretty slow process here in there. No, you just do what God asks you to do and let him change you the way he wants to change you. But what we've got to do is acknowledge these principles. That means that you've got to acknowledge the fact that if you stop walking in the light and you dig your heels in and say, well, I'm not going to do that, even though I know the Bible says that, that's apostasy. Immediately we corrupt ourselves. We walk in darkness. And it's amazing the things we end up doing that we thought we'd never do, like dancing around the calf. You know, dressing immodestly. You know, people that are right with God don't do that. People that are walking in the light, they allow the Lord to make them more of what God wants. They're not thinking so much about their body, they want to show it off like that. Amen? Because it's, it's made a slave. And so Israel became corrupted before the Lord. And in Deuteronomy 31, he, he repeats that in verse 29. It says, For I know that after my death you will utterly corrupt yourselves, and turn aside from the way which I commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Say, I know this is going to happen. You think, wow, well then we ought to maybe not let that happen. But he already knew it was going to happen. In Deuteronomy 4 it says, Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for you saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image and the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth and likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. Lest thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of an inheritance as ye are this day. So, wow, he's just warning them over and over. You know, be careful that you don't start worshiping things that are not me. You know, and I said before, the, the reason why the images, you know, he, he's, not, he's not intimidated by an image. I mean, we saw that with uh, Baal's image when the, they had the Ark of the Covenant come into uh, the Philistine city. I mean, that thing just fell right over. I mean, it's got no power over God. But this is why he cares about that. See, if you worship that, you're not worshiping him. And you're worshiping an image that is not his image. And I believe wholeheartedly the reason why he doesn't say, the reason why he says not to worship any image is because he knows that one day an image will come, his own son, 
And if we're worshiping pigs and dogs and rats and cats and things, fish and things in the sea, we will not worship the very Son of God who is the image of God himself, whom we ought to worship. And when that happens, guess what? You become like Christ when you worship the image of Christ. And if you worship an image of a pig, you become a pig. And God says, I don't want you to be a pig. See, he's not concerned about that little molten calf. He says, that thing has no power. I don't really care. I mean, I could just flick it and it'll go a thousand miles away. But it's not what the golden calf is. It's what's going on in your heart. And I called you to be a people unto me. And the only way you can is if you change. And the only way you're going to change is if you focus on my son. Amen. And not only that, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the image of God that will shine unto them, which means that it is the key to our witness to people when we have Jesus Christ in our heart. And the Bible says, uh, I should maybe read it, but it talks about reflecting Jesus Christ to the world, the image of Christ. So it's not only about you becoming a pig or, or like Christ, it's about others seeing Christ. There's reasons why the Lord says don't worship an image. Amen. It's not because the image. You don't go to the image. Oh, yeah, that image. No, the people, the heart. That's why when he cured them of, uh, of idol worship by the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, they never worshiped another idol again after that. But we know very clearly that the Bible says they had idols set up in their heart. They became what they worshiped. That's why the Pharisees came on the scene. Pharisees didn't want the son. The son came and they rejected him. Why? Because they already had an idol. And they wanted to become like that. And when they saw Jesus, says, you don't fit what this idol represents. And so I reject you. Even though he was the one. And even those scriptures verified that he was the one. The lust. Amen. That's what it was all about. So quite interesting when you look at things like this. So corrupt and decayed. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.22, it says that he put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Psalm 16.1, it says, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. So if you want to be preserved, you've got to trust God. It says, uh, Psalm 25.21, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. See, if that, that's what the Israelites should have done that day. When the first guy talked about, hey, well, we should make a God. Uh, no, let's wait on God. Let's wait on God. Let, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Amen? Not the man Moses, but on thee. Psalm 40, verse 11, Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. Psalm 61, 7, He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. Psalm 86, 2, Preserve my soul, for I am holy, and thou, my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Trust. Amen? How, how important this is. Let us see. Israel suffered consequences from God. Uh, let now, now, therefore, go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken to thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. So here he had a plague. His consequence. That's why Hebrews 10, 26 says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. So in other words, God has to deal with our sins. He has to. That's why Abihu and Nadab, when they offered the strange fire, he says, because you didn't sanctify me by doing the right thing. If, I, if you don't sanctify me by the things that you're doing, then I have to sanctify myself in your judgment. That's how God does it. Moses he failed to sanctify the Lord in, in the eyes of the people when he smote the rock instead of speaking to it. Then the Lord came back and says, because you failed to sanctify me, Moses, now I need to sanctify myself in your judgment. Do you understand that? So he gives us his opportunity to sanctify him in the eyes of the people, 
But he says, if you don't sanctify me in the eyes of the people, then I will respond by showing them that not sanctifying me is an error. And I have to do that for you. I have to show them that you and what you did was a wrong thing. Amen? Then the Lord gets sanctified, right? So it's about the Lord being sanctified. That's what it's all about. It's about him being lifted up. That's why we, you know, baptize in, uh, by immersion. It's sanctifying in the eyes of the people. That's why we don't use uh, alcoholic wine in the Lord's Supper because we're sanctifying the Lord in the eyes of the people. People say, well, it's a big deal. It's just a drink. No, it's not just a drink. <laughs> it's not just a calf either. Amen? It's what you're doing with it. It's the sanctification of God. That's what it's about. So people say, well, it's a big deal. You drink a little wine, a little bit of alcohol in there, leavened bread, unleavened bread. I mean, what, is it going to kill you? But it sends a wrong message. And it, you're not sanctifying God. And that's why the Bible says you've got to first sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And this is the problem. We don't have him in our heart. And so we have a problem sanctifying him in our lives. <laughs> so we're not ready to give an answer. You know, because he's not sanctified. But then we also are not ready to do what we're supposed to do because he's not sanctified in our lives. And then he comes back to you and says, now I need to show everybody I need to be sanctified with you. Through your life, I will be sanctified one way or another. It's by your choice or by my consequence. Isn't that something? So if we sin willfully, it says... There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for a, of a judgment, fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despises Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye, talking to us now, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace." Wow, for we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Oh, but God doesn't do that today. He sure does. And many Christians are suffering God's hands because they are failing and not desiring to sanctify the Lord with their life. So, Moses deals with this apostasy. Letter A, Moses interceded for Israel. Verse 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people. Behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone. He's telling Moses, leave me alone. (laughs) Moses said, well, what, what can I do with you? I mean, it's not like I can stop you, God. So, he's kind of telling Moses, Let me alone. Don't do anything to stop me. What did Moses do? Did something to stop him, (laughs) you know? That my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Now, a prideful man would have said, okay, that's great. Sounds good to me. But Moses was meek. Remember when his sister tried to claim authority with him? Hey, Moses, you're not the only one that you know, has access to God here. You know that, right? And how God immediately smote her with leprosy. Moses didn't go, yeah, see, serves you right. Dumb little sister. <laughs> he didn't do that at all. In fact, he fell on his face before God, begging him to take it away. And the Lord did take it away, but he says, you know what? Even a leper would have to go spend seven days out on the outside of the camp, and so let her go outside the camp for seven days. Let her feel that shame a little bit. I bet she was really cured after that. See, so either you're going to sanctify God with your life, or he's going to sanctify himself through you. Amen? That's the way it works. And so it says, And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which hast brought, thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? There you have him claiming God's sovereignty. So when you're interceding on behalf of people, what you need to do is claim the purposes, the unchanging purposes of God. See, God, this is what you have done. This is what you are doing. This is what you said you were going to accomplish. And that's just who you are because you're a sovereign, powerful God. 
And so he claimed that. He claimed the sovereignty of God. Then he goes on to say, Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. So the second thing he claimed was God's testimony. Now he's saying, God, I'm concerned about what they think about you. I want them to think right about you. Now the Lord had no intention of ruining his testimony. But that's what Moses was bringing up before God. He's saying, Lord, you made this promise that you're going to do this with this people. And now people will just think that you just brought them out here to kill them which is going to change their perception of who you are. And so when you're praying and interceding on behalf of people, you're praying in in God's sovereignty that God's got to control the situation, but you're also praying about the testimony of God, that, Lord, I want you to be glorified through this. I want you to fulfill that which you promised to do. See, that's where Moses, if he would have just been a man full of pride, he says, yeah, just kill him, God, and we'll go start over again. He wouldn't have cared about God's purpose, and he wouldn't have cared about God's testimony. But because he was meek, he cared. And he claimed it in his prayer. Amen. Many times you see that in great men of God in the Bible, Daniel and others. You'll see him claiming these things and say, Lord, you, you've made this promise and you're, you're going to have to fulfill it because otherwise they're going to think that you, you're not a God that keeps his promises. Amen. It is your concern that, is your concern the testimony of Jesus Christ in this world? We desire God's mercy for erring believers because of the testimony we desire to uphold for Christ. You know, I'm not into just casting people out because they've done wrong. You've you got to give them a chance. You've got to give them an opportunity to get right with God. Amen? And in that, you're saying, Lord, I want you to glorify yourself through this person. And that should be every time we deal with someone like that. Now, I understand it doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes they get right, sometimes they don't. But the fact of the matter is you're still wanting God's testimony. And and just like I said, if they're not willing to sanctify God with their own life, then God has to be sanctified in a different way. And sometimes we're on both sides of that. The third thing is he claimed God's promises. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I've spoken of, uh, of, I will give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Amen. So the final straw was claiming the promises of God. So you put the promises of God in God's face, he says, now you're getting somewhere. I'll tell you something, you have a promise of God, that's a powerful thing. You can move the hand of God by claiming the promises of God. You can change the decision of God by claiming the promises of God. I don't know if you're in your Bible reading today or, uh, or this week you're reading in First Chronicles. I forget the king's name. Um, but uh, God was going to judge him. And he says, I'm, I'm going to destroy you. And immediately he humbled himself. And it wasn't Ahab, it was a different king. And God, and there was no conversation. There was no thing that this God, king said to God or God said to the king. But immediately just God went to the prophet and says, oh, he humbled himself. I'm changing my mind about everything. You know, isn't that amazing? Like, I'm just thinking, like, wow. Like, he didn't really do anything other than just simply humble himself before God, and God just changed his mind about everything. No, I'm not going to destroy you anymore. Uh, it's all said and done. <laughs> Amen. You say, wow. Paul, I tell you, we got to claim the promises of God. God never planned to break his promise, as he can't lie. We know that. God put Moses in a situation to claim his promises, though, he wants us to know them. He wants us to claim them. So sometimes he puts you in a position where you have to claim them, you have to find them, and you have to claim them for yourself. Amen? So look at your life and look what you're going through and say, what, what is it that God said that I need to have right now so I can make it through this and find that promise and claim it? And in your prayer, just say, Lord, you said this to me, and I'm holding you to it. He says, I've been waiting for you to tell me that. Amen? And maybe it's on behalf of others, on behalf of yourself, whatever it is. But it's so important that we understand these three aspects of our intercession for others. Letter B, Moses interfered with Israel's sin. So, 
Exodus 32, 19 says, It came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. I don't know if that was right, wrong, whatever. Uh, you know, I think this is a righteous anger, absolutely. And it's interesting, verse 20, it says, And he took the calf which they had made, burnt it in the fire, ground it to powder, and strawed it upon the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. <laughs> you want this God here? I'm going to make you drink them. Wow. How does that feel? They probably all got a stomachache. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou brought so great a sin upon them? Leadership. Right there. He wouldn't be very popular today with this style of confrontation, Moses. He'd be called a legalist, unloving. But his heart was really to save the people. He became angry at sin and reproved it. We know that. He wasn't praying for these people to be destroyed. He was praying that God would save these people. But he knew that they had to change their mind about what they just did. Why is, why is it we find it so hard to remove wrong music from our homes, wrong movies from our homes, wrong things we know that are corrupting our lives? We struggle Immodest pictures. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If there's something that, that social media has done is revealed how spiritual you really are. <laughs> you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, a uh, surfer where I go and look, uh, look for people and so forth. But man, sometimes I say, wow, why would you do that? Or why would you dress like that? Or why would you say that? And then you see, look at these people liking it, saying, then you ask, why would you like that? Like, 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 like. Well, it's my friend. You think you're loving them by liking that? You think you care about them? That's why you're liking that? (laughs) You're hating them. You want to see them judged. Yikes. (laughs) Amen. But how true it is. All of a sudden, they're seeing these rock concerts people go to, and you think, what? The worst thing is the people that are liking it. Don't do it, guys. I don't care if they're your aunt, uncle, sister, brother, long-lost cousin. Don't put your stamp of approval on the things that are evil because that is apostasy too. Turning away from what you know to be the truth just for the sake of getting a little, you know, a little light back from somebody. Moses didn't do that. Man, he says, drink this water now. (laughs) You know, there was no... No tolerance and stroking in this thing. It was dealing with the sin. And so the Bible says in Ephesians 5.11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So how much fellowship should we have with the unfruitful works of darkness? None. Well, no, that's why I don't. Okay, but do you reprove them? So he's saying you don't do that, but then you do this. You got to reprove the darkness. Sitting back is not not fulfilling your plan in God's life (laughs) or God's will for your life. He's wanting you to not fellowship with it, but he's also wanting you to say that is not the right thing for you to do. That's where dad's got to go through the social media with the kids and say, you know, that's not right. You're going to take that down right now. You know, drink that calf. (laughs) You're going to drink this. Yeah, but they're all going to think I took it down. Yeah, well, that's called drinking the calf. (laughs) <laughs> they're all going to know, yeah, drink the calf. They all knew. They all knew who was lapping up the water that day. You know, we call it eating crow, I guess is what we call it. <laughs> Let her see, Moses invited Israel to consecration. This is a very interesting aspect of this, and we're going to be done soon. It says in Exodus 32, 26, Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him, And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate throughout the camp, from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. 
For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son, upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. So there we choose. Do I want a blessing from God? Or do I want corrupt people to like me? Now the Lord's not going to get, give you a sword and you know, let you go crazy. But in a way, you are saying, no, I'm not being a part of that. You are cutting it off and you will look like you're a fuddy-duddy to them. Moses stood in the gate and called for separation to represent the reproach that would come on those that truly consecrate themselves to the Lord. Then Moses said in the, in the gate of the camp, and who is on the Lord's side, let him come unto me. He didn't just go in and say, hey, you and you. He says, I'm standing here outside the gate and anybody that wants to do right, I want you to make the step and come outside the gate of the camp. Now, why is that important? Letter A, the gate represents the reproach one must endure standing for Christ. We see that in Hebrews 13, 12, it says, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him, without the camp, bearing his reproach. Jesus didn't get crucified in the gate, in the camp. He was dragged outside the camp. He was made a spectacle to the world and to the people. He was bearing a reproach for sin. So the Bible commands us, now let us also go outside the gate. Amen. Consecrate yourselves. Be that separate one when they look at you saying, you know what? Yeah, they are one of those guys that consecrate themselves. They, they're not afraid of bearing the reproach of living the Christian life. Amen. It's, we're called to that. But I think some people think that we're here simply just to kind of meander through the minefields and, and, and everybody's supposed to like us in the end and it's just not going to happen if you want to walk with God. You will be pursued. All those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Amen. It's going to happen. So the gate would be where they would carry out the sacrifices to be burned outside the camp. And that's why even with Miriam, when God said she had the, the, uh, the leprosy, he let her go outside the camp for seven days. It was a place of shame. And we're just trying to keep everybody just liking us. Just, I, I don't want to be you know, anybody's bad side by saying the wrong thing or standing for the right thing. Amen? And I'm not saying don't be rude. I mean, my goodness, there's enough of that out there. But I'm saying just you making a decision to do the right thing is going to be enough. Because there's going to be people that want to be with you. You say, I can't. And you're going to have to say it. I cannot be with you. Because you're living your life apart from God. You're living an ungodly life. And the Bible says that we ought not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, or we will sit in the seat of the scornful. See, people that don't separate, they become scorners in the church. They're the ones that always start cutting people up because they've had such a decline in their apostasy that they're starting to cut people up because they could not separate at the first step walking in the counsel of the ungodly, taking steps in ungodly counsel. What's ungodly, it just means not influenced by God. <laughs> I'm doing something or I'm holding some position that is not influenced by the Lord at all. It is just simply uh, something I've made up or something that everybody agreed to or everybody just thinks this is a good way to go. That's ungodly. <laughs> Godly is what he says to do. It's influenced by God. Amen. So important. So the reproach. Uh, there ought to be a clear line of separation be between those that follow Christ and the world. And that's becoming less and less and less. We know that. Uh, Moses illustrated the severity of separation that must take place when we truly consecrate ourselves to Christ. They were told to take their swords and go in and out of the gates and told to slay every person that would not repent of their sin against God. That's pretty severe, man. I mean, I don't know if I could have done that that day. I mean, my goodness, it was a different time, I guess. But today, if someone say, here's a sword, go, I, yeah, I've never done that before. I don't know what this is all about. Well, the Lord doesn't tell us to do that these days, amen. But he does tell us to separate. It is amazing that they are willing to go and kill their brother or their son or whatever. We're not even willing to not fellowship with them. 
that shows you how far we've gone off the beaten track. Number two, Moses promised a blessing to all those that truly consecrate themselves to the Lord. In verse 11, Deuteronomy eleven twenty six 26 says, Behold, I set before you this day both blessing and cursing. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way, which I command you this day to go after other gods, which you have not known. So there is a blessing. And then number three, Moses sought forgiveness for Israel of the Lord. And this, I could preach a whole message on this alone, but in all reality, it says that it came to pass on the moral that Moses said unto the people, ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. He he was willing to take the place, become a substitute. And that's what a true intercessor is. That's what Christ was for you. He says, I will stand in the place of the sinner. But God didn't require him to do that. In fact, he says, the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Amen. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee, nevertheless in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made a calf which Aaron made. So were they forgiven? Yes, they were forgiven. Did God still plague them? Yes. So even though we're forgiven sometimes, there's still a consequence for the actions that we've been involved with. And this is where it gets us sometimes because we get all bitter about what we're going through. And then it's kind of all starting over again. That bitterness, that root of bitterness defiles many. Amen. Instead of just saying, you know what, Lord, I deserve this. I'm just going to do right in the midst of all these bad things that are happening. And you've heard the example before. I know my pastor is the one that, that showed me this the first time where, you know, when you're walking along, you've been sowing bad seed and that crop is coming up. And we cry about all the bad cursings of our life. But we don't understand. We're the one that sowed it in the ground. We're planted it and it's just coming up. It's just natural. So whatever you do, whatever you sow into the ground is going to grow. All right? And so what happens is you're, you're reaping later for, from seeds you sowed in the past. You thought, oh, I'm getting away with this. But no, you weren't because it takes a couple of months for the harvest to come up. Amen? And so many times when they're reaping the bad harvest, then they stop sowing altogether. Oh, I won't do bad, I won't do good. Well, you're going to do bad. (laughs) So what you need to do is you need to start sowing good seed while you're reaping a bad crop. Because that's showing faith. Lord, even though I'm reaping this bad crop, I'm going to sow good seed today because I know in a couple months this crop's going to come up. See, that's being blessed by faith. A lot of people, they don't want that kind of blessing. They want to, you show me that things are going to be good and then I'll do it. No, you you do it and you just trust because you know who God is that you're going to reap a good harvest because of it. And then you have to accept the fact that you've got a bad harvest you need to reap. Just stop sowing the bad seed, amen, for all of us, all right? Anyways, that's, that's my message. Let's bow our heads.